is as real as it gets. This is Nash Gruner, the son of Olivia Gruner, and you are listening to the UCW radio show in your face. The number you have reached, 911, has been changed to a non-published number. You're listening to UCW radio in your face. Give it to me, baby. All right, welcome to the UCW Radio Show, and of course, we have another great guest that's lined up to come on the show in a minute. I just want to remind all of our listeners to make sure to catch not only the UCW Radio Show, but also our uh, my other show, Money Never Sleeps. This is when we're talking about anything that moves moves money anywhere in the world, and it's it's a pretty pretty great show uh, if I do say so myself. We have a lot of uh, different guests on there from the world of real estate, finance, uh, from all over the world. So uh, if, you, if you're looking uh, for something of that nature, uh, this is a show for you, and we make it we keep it interesting. And also, uh, make sure to check out our um, our digital magazine, Money Never Sleeps. And we're also going to be releasing uh, the UCW magazine. We're going to be uh, returning with that uh, soon in the next couple of months. And we're going to be featuring all our great guests that we have on the show and, pl- and do some interviews and things of that nature and do some profiling on there. So, you, you know, if you've been a guest on the show, you may find yourself right there in the pages of the UCW magazine. Now, and you can find that, of course, on UCWmagazine.com. Okay, now with all that said, uh, uh, what I want to do, I want to get to bring our guest on because this guy is uh, great. He's not only a comedian, he's a writer, he's... He's an actor. Uh, I'm sure he's going to be going into directing and doing all this this fun stuff out there in Hollywood. Uh, but he's been doing it for a while, and he was on Last Comic Standing as well. Okay, so without further ado, please join me in welcoming Dante the Comic to the show. All right, Dante, welcome to the UCW Radio Show. How are you? I'm great, pal. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. I know it's been a you've been on the road busy, and uh, we've been kind of uh, jammed up over here. But it's glad it's good that we're able to get this done finally. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm glad, man. And I am. This is my first day back. I've been gone for three weeks, so it worked out perfect. Yeah, yeah. And that way, I can break up your relaxation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it was not relaxing today. All I've done is work in my yard. So. Yeah, but you know what? You, oh, well. have, you you have the love of your life there, so that's what matters, right? I do, I do. I'm a lucky, lucky man. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and luckily she was with me most of the time that I was gone for those three weeks. Her name is Rebecca Cochin World, and she is a comic like myself, an actor, and anyway, we end up going uh, traveling on the road together all the time, so it's great. Yeah, well, that's fantastic, and I know I know she's she's funny, but guess what? Today, this show is not about Rebecca. We'll we'll bring her Thank on another God. time. We want to talk. We want to talk about you. You know, I mean, she's, yeah, she's fantastic and everything. But I want I want our listeners to get a uh, a good idea of what you've done and what you've been doing. You know, so let's crank back a little bit. You're a comedian. What got you involved in comedy in the first place? All right. I actually got involved in stand-up when I was about eight years old. 
friend of mine named Jared McQuarrie. We both lived on a military base growing up, and UFO would come through with shows. And I was already a fan of, of, of stand-up. Like, I had all the Bill Cosby albums. I knew them by heart. And then I, I saw these improv people come through, and a comedian. Um, I can't remember his name. It was a, a black guy with a puppet who opened for Ray Charles. And between those two acts, especially the improv group, I turned to my friend and I said, let's be stand-up comics. And so we wrote a routine. We had a school talent show. We did it there. We won. They sent us to other schools to perform. We started charging the kids to see us in the backyard. At eight years and old, you were charging kids to come see you? Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. You're an entrepreneur. Good. <laughs> Absolutely. And so uh, I pursued acting and stand-up, I mean, really in the only way I could, which was performing to other kids. And so finally my parents moved me to San Diego when I was about 12, and I saw that there was the, the comedy store was there. I kept seeing all these signs for the comedy store, the comedy store, the improv. And I would call, and they said, you had to be 21. So what ended up happening was uh, at about 1986, I met another friend named Gerald Wolf. And we, we were in high school, and I formed a comedy team with him called Dante and the Wolf. And he was, I think, a year and a half older than me. I was probably like 15, 16, I don't know. And we uh, we started going to the comedy store, and I noticed that a friend of ours from high school, his name's Faison Love, and he's famous now. He's in all the John Favreau movies. He's the big, fat, black guy in Elf. I don't know if you ever saw that. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I know who you're speaking about. Actually, I know who yeah, he is. He's a, yeah, he's, uh, a lot of people know him from Friday and other movies. But anyway, he was a friend of ours in high school, and he was the doorman. And I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, I'm 16. He's only like 19 or 18. And I was like, this guy's got a fake ID. So I said to him, I was like, Faison, look, man, tell them that I am, you know, 19, even though I was like 16. And in two years, when I turn 18, in their eyes, I'll be 21. And so he did. And so me and the wolf, we would have to run in, perform, and run out. Two years later, everyone celebrates my 21st birthday, even though I'm not. <laughs> and so from 16 on, I've been a stand-up comic. That, that's funny. That's funny. Well, you you kind of you made your own luck with that. Absolutely, man. Um, it was something I, I, you know, I just couldn't wait. I even told my parents I was getting a fake ID. And I felt bad because I never told the other comics that I had worked with for so many years in San Diego until years and years later, I told him. And I felt bad. I was nervous, to, especially the manager. But it was something I just had to do. I wanted to do. I needed to do. I, I couldn't stand not being a comic. Well, you know, look, you, you going out there and, and having that passion, and most people, you know, to have that passion with anything they do is an amazing thing because it, it it's not work. You you love what you do, so it's a part no. of your life, you know. And right. for, for you to go to that extent and do that, that just showed your commitment to yourself and what you love to well, do. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, I uh, I do. I agree with you. It's, you know, people go, "Oh boy, that's such hard work," and I'm thinking, "No, it's not. I'm not digging ditches. No. I found a way to tell jokes to people and make a living, and go on vacation every day of my life." <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, and you know the thing is, if you mentioned hard work. You know, a lot of people say you know certain things are hard work. You know what hard work is when you're 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 lifting bricks. So you got the wheelbarrow. You're breaking your back. You're right. That's that's right. hard work. Right. Th- this stuff is a privilege. Today, this is a privilege. I agree. What I did in my yard today was hard work. I was in the sun for like six hours. I was digging. I was lifting. I was carrying. I was throwing away, chopping, all that stuff. And there's guys that do that five, six days a week or more. Yep. You know? And it's like, that's work. That's real work. Yeah, but you know, in your house, you do it in the backyard. At least you come home and, you know, your your girl has some iced tea waiting for you. <laughs> right. She, she, she must have made me five lemonades today. It was great. Way to go, Rebecca. You're doing good out there. <laughs> Keep this guy in a line, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You know, so now, you know, you, you, uh, when you, when you started moving forward, when you actually started getting gigs, when, when did that happen? When you started kind of venturing out of the club that you were at? All right. So here's what happened. My very first money I ever got was me and the wolf. We won a comedy contest for MTV. And I think they gave us 25 bucks and, uh, a weekend resort, which we never took. We should have, but we didn't. And then, well, you weren't I old enough. You couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. That's probably right. So then he and I broke off as a team because he went off to college and wanted to pursue law and everything else, and we still keep in touch. But So I left San Diego when I really turned 21, moved to L.A. I started running uh, a room at the comedy store. That room got very popular um, with black people, and BET was starting a new show called Comic View. And they had come out to my room and seen me, and they wanted me to be the first white guy on BET. And so I couldn't wait. It was my first big TV gig. I had done some movies that got me into the Screen Actors Guild, but nothing was stand-up. Mm-hmm. So this was great. Uh, I get on BET, and next thing you know, they're they're filming new new shows like every six months. Yep. So every six months throughout the 90s, I was filming new stand-up sets and building up a huge black fan base they even gave me a a sitcom um it was sort of like taxi but in a hotel mm-hmm. where you know there's like five main cast members and we all run the hotel and big stars came in every week and my friend richard Pryor, that was his last thing he ever did was be on that sitcom and paul mooney was one of the writers and it was just it was a crazy 90s for me and I would fly all over the country and, and perform to like, you know, 2,000 seat theaters and five 5,000 seat theaters. And we went to England and I started playing for the U.S. troops more because I had already started in San Diego doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, now that I had some fame, I was hitting up all the bases all over the world. And that's sort of what really started it all was uh, BET. Yeah, well, BET. I mean, Robert Johnson. You know, he when he ran BET when he owned it, uh, he did a yeah. lot of amazing things. And uh, honestly, I don't know if you've ever met him, but he, I have not. He, he is the most humble person that I've ever met, and and it showed with his uh, with the network that he developed, and and it was great. I mean, to to for you to get a chance like that, that's like the reverse. <laughs> you did the reverse. I know, and people and people listening, we probably have to explain to them. Even though my name is Dante, I'm Italian, uh, not black. So that was sort of a big deal for them to put me on there. And I ended up actually winning the most BET Comic View Awards 
out of anyone of all time. Like I hold the record for it. It's crazy. Wow, wow. But you know, it's 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 that opportunity to do something different. Right. You know, and, and kind of you know break out of the box, and you know, look, I'm I'm happy that BET did that because yeah. it allows you to do what you're doing now, which is fantastic. I agree. I agree. I was very very lucky to get all of that. Yeah, and you travel all, you travel all over the world, and you know, then you kind of got into uh, doing films, and we're going to talk about the, your film projects and everything when we come back from the break. We're going to take in a minute. Um, but okay. you know, just having having the ability to do what what you what you did, and you created it. If you created your own luck, because if you didn't make that move and go into the comedy club and you waited till you were twenty one, you never would have had that opportunity. You're right. You're right. And so much of stand up is, you know, they always say it's about being in the right place at the right time, and I fully believe that. Mm -hmm. I fully believe that because. You know, the other saying, out of sight, out of mind, couldn't be more true. I had a friend who made a movie, and he put one stand-up comic in it, and he could have put a lot of comics in it. And uh, I said to him, I said, you know, you and I have been friends forever. Why didn't you even ask me? He goes, because I hadn't seen you in forever. He goes, I had only seen this one guy. He said he wanted to be in my movie, so I thought of him. He was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I was out of sight, out of mind. And then that's what happens when you're not relevant or you're not in front of people. They're not thinking about you. That's true. And then you, it is true. But you can't be everywhere at once. So opportunities come. You they, can't. Yeah, opportunities are there every day. You know, it's just having your eyes right. open to seize them and and just move forward with it, which is what you did. You know, so now you were traveling all over. You did the. Uh, you got the uh, the BET uh, gig. Uh, and you were doing quite well with that. What happened after that? What was the okay. next stage? So here's what happened. So uh, my BET fame gets so big that it, it starts to feel funny that I'm not getting, you know, all the auditions I'm getting are for the black white guy or, you know what I mean, like the the white guy who thinks he's black. And I just thought, I better switch things up. Oh, so they, so they, they kind of pigeon, I, I, they pigeonholed you into that character. Right. Hollywood has sort of pigeonholed me. Everything I was getting was sort of the hip hop white guy. But but you and but that so wasn't I, your that wasn't your persona. That's not your persona. Right, not my persona, but because I was on B E T that's that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And so what I decided to do was sort of take a break from the black rooms and uh comic view and all of that. And I ended up having a, a child with my ex wife mm -hmm. and so I started a comedy club or a room, but it was like four or five days in the valley right next to my house. And uh, this bar let me run comedy there. And so I was able to develop material every, almost every night and meet this whole new group of comedians and things like that. And I started going on the road into different clubs. And then I auditioned for Last Comic Standing, and I didn't get it. And it what, what, my heart. what, what year I, was that? What year was that when you did that? That was year three. Okay. Season three. Because my friend Alonzo Bowden, I believe, was he on one or two? Oh, he, uh, he was on two, I think. Season two. But that, but, but that, but that's when, that's when, the, that, that's when Last Comic Standing wasn't what it is right now. That's when it was kind of like, you know, they did some silly stuff on there. Right. It was a reality show. They lived together. Um, so I watched it the first season and I was jealous because friends of mine were on it and I thought I should be on it. 
season two, I didn't audition. I didn't even know about it. More friends of mine were on it. Season three, uh, I was actually wrong. It was actually uh, the best of. It was season one against season two. Season four, I auditioned, and I didn't make it. So season five is coming along, and I said to Alonzo Bowden, I said, give me some advice for auditioning. And he said, well, I can tell you that most comics that audition for the show, they do a three-minute bit, and they don't make it. He goes, my best advice to you is go through all of your jokes and find as many one-liners that make your three-minute bits all come together and just do those one-liners because what they want to see is you tell seven jokes every minute Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, one joke in three minutes. So I auditioned season five, and uh, I made it to the night where you get to come back. Right. And I won something called the Audience Favorite Award. And so that meant that I I had to go through to the semifinals, whether the producers wanted me or not. And then I go to the semifinals and I won the audience favorite award again, which made me a cast member for the show. And I was on season five of Last Comic Standing and it was great. Oh, nice, nice. So you had to go through all of that and, and all that stuff. Was it aired before you went into season five? Hello? Yeah. Was it aired before you went into season five? Um, all, all, all the things that you did before, was that aired before you went into <laughs> season five? Correct, correct. So how it works is we film all that stuff in like January, February, and then we go live in the summer. So between February and like July or June, we couldn't tell people that we were on the show. Mm-hmm. Even though hundreds of people were at the taping that saw us, we couldn't say that we had made it because when people watch it they don't know who the top 10 are until it goes you know live in the summer but we already knew okay all right and now but now it's different because now with social media (laughs) you can't hide anything correct (laughs) right and back then it was just myspace and you know i had to be real careful even the first thing i posted about you know i made it to the night round some lawyer from nbc called me and said take it down right now Oh. And it was a scary process, man. For those five months, I, I was being followed. I would see people in the audience at every show I was at that I recognized. And so they must have been sending people out to make sure you didn't say anything or, oh, it's like, you know, do anything wrong. It's like that paranoia set in. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's weird is I had a bit of a, a group that was around me at the time that was helping me write and prepare for the show. And they were like, man, that same dude keeps coming to your show. You know, and we wouldn't even really publicize where I was going next. It was almost like we were being followed. It was weird. It's like that scene out of Goodfellas when Ray Liotta's driving down the road and he he sees a helicopter. Yes, yes, that's (laughs) what I felt like, just like that, where I kept kept looking up and seeing some helicopter following me. Yeah, minus the pills. It must have been true because I kept getting calls from lawyers saying, you know, just make sure you don't say this, don't say that. I'm thinking, man, I am being watched. Yeah, well, because it's, it's a game show, they have yeah. they have to watch you, I guess. Well, they they need the ratings, they need they need the surprise factor, everything else. And again, back right. then it's different than now. You know, right now with Twitter, Facebook, everything else, you know, there's no hiding. Right. You can't you can't hide. Yeah, so this, this, yeah, this was like six and a half years ago. And also back then, our season was the first season where there was no house. Um, we were the first ones where there was no reality show component to it. It was just challenges and stand-up, period. There was no, 
living together, which I kind of missed out on. I, I kind of wish we had done that because we didn't get to know each other and everyone was very, very paranoid and weird with each other mm-hmm. in the hotel. Fights were breaking out, not physical ones, but yelling at each other over nothing, over nothing. Yeah, I, I, can, you know, just, I, I can imagine. I definitely can imagine. Everyone was, yeah, highly stressed out and weird and I never yelled at anybody. As a matter of fact, I would show up with like, you know, I came to the hotel with $500 in groceries and board games thinking I'm going to be friends with these people while I live there. And no one wanted to hang out with anybody. You're lucky they didn't jack you up for your food. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, but but, but what we're going to do, Dante, we're going to take a uh, quick break because we have to take a break right now, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about Last Comic Standing, and then we're going to go into what your projects you're doing now. You have have some films, you have some stuff going on, and I want to touch on that. So I want you to stick with us, and I want our listeners to stick with us. We're going to be right back on the UCW Radio Show with Dante the Comic. This is Chef Gavin Murphy with your one-minute healthy cooking tip. A lot of people are more health conscious nowadays, especially when it comes to food. But did you know there are a lot of hidden calories and of all things, salad dressing. They're chock full of added sugars. But don't fret, I've got you covered. Try this quick and delicious salad dressing recipe. Grab a small Tupperware container with a lid and add a quarter cup of balsamic vinegar, two tablespoons of whole grain or Dijon mustard, a teaspoon of organic honey, pinch of salt and pepper and three quarters of a cup of olive oil. Pop the lid on and give it a good old shake. This is spot on for a beautiful summer salad and will keep in the fridge for weeks. For more healthy cooking tips and info, go to GavinMurphy.com.
Hi, my name is Peter May of London Central Properties and we're based in Cavendish Square which is close to Regent's Park. The majority of my work experience has been in sales, in particular the hotel and hospitality industry both in the UK and overseas. London Central Properties is an established company with a global presence and a high reputation for service and discretion. We specialise in the sale of high-value, off-market apartments, houses, hotels and investments. We have recently opened a new division specialising in the provision of service departments which cover the full spectrum from budget to exclusive. These apartments are suitable for both leisure and corporate clients and are located in the key areas of London including Mayfair, Knightsbridge, Kensington and Bayswater. For further information please refer to our website which is www.londoncentralproperties.com We have now established an exclusive partnership with the host of Money Never Sleeps, Mr. Louis Velasquez. Alright, we're back on the UCW radio show. We're here with Dante the comic. He has not left. I thought he was going to dodge and weave and get out of this whole deal, but he's still here with us. And what we're talking I about. Tried. Yeah, you did try. <laughs> but we grabbed you. We grabbed you. Uh, so now we were talking about last comic standing before the break. And, uh, you know, you were going to the hotel and you were trying to be, you know, be everybody's buddy, but that didn't work out. It does not work out. As a matter of fact. <laughs> People were actually really mean to me um, on that show, and some of them have made up to me, and we're friends now, and others we've just never spoken since. They've just very strange people. Yeah. And they get mad at me over nothing, like my, my material. I think what it was was they were upset that everywhere I, I performed, I was getting standing ovations and winning the audience favorite awards. And, you know, I do impressions in my act and, you know, they would call me a hack for doing impressions and, and things like that. And it, it rolled off my back. I could care less what they thought of me. But wait, they called you, you know? a hack for doing impressions? That's a part of comedy. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. That's and, a part you know, of your bit when you're on stage. You know, anyone, anyone. You see Chris Rock do it. You see, you know, when Richard Pryor was doing it, Eddie Murray. They, they, you, you, you have to do impressions. How are people going get to the, get the picture? Yeah, you know what? I got a good piece of advice from Richard Pryor one time. He and I were in the back room of the comedy store, and we were pretty good buddies at the time. And I, I was going to ask him if I could try out a new joke on him. And he goes, have you tried it out in front of audiences? And I said, yeah. And he goes, do they laugh? And I said, yes, they laugh. He goes, then what the hell are you asking me for? Nice. He goes, the only thing that matters in comedy is making them laugh. And I got it. And so... If somebody tells me you're a hack because you make people laugh with impressions, I just go, well, I respect Richard Pryor's opinion over yours. Yeah, well, I mean, if people think, if, they, if they're having those thoughts, the only thing that, that comes to mind to me is a little bit of jealousy. You know, you can't... Cause, exactly. Yeah, because you can't, you can't, you know, if... Some, if, if you're a baseball player, somebody's playing better than you, you know, you don't sit there and get mad at them. You say, okay, you know what, how can I learn from them? How can I be a right. better at what I do? Maybe I can learn from this guy. That's a smarter move. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Unless you're jaded and that's the way life is and that's what happens in entertainment. People get jaded. 
You know, and some of the ones, there's one guy in particular, and I won't say his name, but I've tried to talk to him since, and he's just always acted like that, just miserable. And maybe it's just a miserable person. Who knows? Hey, maybe he goes home and his wife uh, <laughs> makes his life as beautiful as it is. <laughs> right. Who knows? Who, who knows? Who, who I'm, knows? I, I'm a lucky man. I'm very happy. Well, you are, and here we go, we go, and this, this whole show leads back to Rebecca. What is going on, Dante? What's going on? Every, every, <laughs> you know, we should just bring her on the show and just have a part of this conversation. <laughs> exactly. I'll right. bring the phone into the shower. I think that's where she is right now. Oh, this is not that type of show, Dante. We, we said we were going to keep everything clean. Uh, Wait. The shower's clean. Yeah, it is. that's true. <laughs> so, you know, t- tell us, uh, maybe you can give us, you you uh, you connected with Richard Pryor and you, you, were, you were friends with him. You know, what other big uh, comedy uh, comics were you, did you actually work with or did you uh, become, you know, pretty good friends with you, as you were moving you forward? You know, I'm very lucky. I started in the 80s and, like, everyone was around. That, 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 that's, why, that's why I asked the question, because of the time frame, because yeah, you had, had a lot a of great ones. Some guy who runs a club in Dallas showed me lineups from when I was playing his club in San Diego. And, you know, at the time, half of these people weren't famous. But he's like, look, you opened for Roseanne Barr. You opened for Gilbert Godfrey. You opened for this person. I was like, I did? I remember the Gilbert Godfrey one because that was funny. He actually walked a crowd one night. He started doing Bela Lugosi impressions and never stopped because people were booing him. And he thought, okay, I'll do more. <laughs> Instead of switching gears, he just tortured him till I was the last person in the building. That is hilarious. It was hilarious. But, uh... Kinnison took me under his wing the minute I moved to L.A. and became uh, a good person to me. I don't want to say we were best friends or anything, because we weren't, but he was really, really nice to me all the time, and he was a good friend to me. And he made me feel special, and, um, you know, a year after becoming his friend, he died, and it broke my heart. And uh, Andrew Dice Clay and I became really good friends, and uh, I do a great impression of Dice, and he would always make me do it for other people. And one night, um, some girl came to the comedy store and was like, I want to see a star. And this guy pointed, and she goes, he goes, well, Andrew Dice Clay is right behind you. Well, she didn't know who stars were, because she turned to me and went, oh, I'm a big fan of yours. So the whole night, I'm doing Andrew Dice Clay. I'm like, oh, that's nice, lady. Thank you so much. You're great. And and I would turn to Dice and go, Dante, go get me a soda. <laughs> this went on for hours, and of course he's like laughing the entire time. Yeah, um, that's funny. Yeah. So and then uh, Jamie Fox and I actually went to college together, and I helped him get into the comedy store down there. And and look at him he, now; he's a superhero. Know, so, yeah, I mean, but, you know, I could probably list a, another hundred celebrities that, you know, some of them we just started out as friends coming up together. I remember when I was a doorman at the comedy store, it was me, Carlos Mencia, and Eddie Griffin were the doorman at the time. And now, you know, they both have pretty good careers. 
Well, you're not doing too shabby yourself, Dante. And the reason, wow, the re- you, yeah, and the reason I want you to touch on this because I want listeners. If you're a comedian and you're listening to this, you know, and you're just starting out, understand as you're doing stuff. I don't care what you do in life, you know, you never know who you're going to be uh, building up with. So when you know, because you're you were, right, you were there, you're meeting this one, that one, and at the time, I mean, look, let truth, let the truth be told. You know, there were nobodies. And then all of a sudden, they became somebodies. But if you treat someone with the respect, and you kind of have that that uh, well, just that respect in the beginning, okay, and you build that friendship, you never know where where things can bloom to. And as you, you never know. That is so correct. Yeah. I mean, Chris Tucker was an open micer when I first met him, and you know, within a year, he was you know making millions and millions of dollars. And we haven't talked in years, but I'm sure we're still friends because we were really good friends at the time. Yeah, I had his brother on the Other show. Other people, and he was. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, he was. He was. He was speaking. Uh, he was talking. To, well, he's doing his own thing too. His his brother's doing his own thing. But he he made he made mention of Chris and a couple of things. But uh, but he's 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 a good guy from what I understand. Yeah, and Chris was always a good guy, you know. And uh, and then you, there's people you don't know that. Uh, who they are you know you help people out and you're not necessarily friends with them but here's a good example i do warm-up for tv shows and movies so anytime a tv show is got a live audience i go in there and i you know play with the audience and i tell them jokes anytime a movie has like a thousand to twenty thousand extras they don't pay them so they hire me to entertain them and give them prizes one one day i'm working on a nick cannon movie and I knew who Nick Cannon was, but I didn't know that I knew him. Mm -hmm. Well, usually when the stars walk out, I announce them to the crowd. I'm like, hey, you guys, you've been waiting to see so-and-so. Here's Nick Cannon. Nick grabs the mic from me, and he goes, I hope you guys know who's entertaining you right now. He's like, this guy is one of my idols. This guy was one of the only people who, when I would sit out in front of the comedy store, he would give me advice. He would go get me sodas and bring them out to me and you know, talk to me and encourage me. And, and I just thought, you know, I barely remembered him. Like once I saw him and I was like, oh my God, that was the kid. I went, oh yeah, okay. I remember Nick Cannon, but I wasn't thinking about, you know, this is Nick Cannon. Once he got famous, I didn't even know until he said it. Well, you know what? That, that just shows your character. That just shows how you are as a person, you know? And I always Uh, say, well, I always say that, uh, you know, a person's character shows just on, on an everyday basis. You know, if you if you open your heart to someone, you, you again, you didn't know him, but you knew he was out there, and you kind of, you know, looked back at your life and you said, you know what, I was that kid. Yep, I sure was. Yep, I sure was, and I always wanted big comics to talk to me, and I felt like until I gained their respect, none of them would talk to me. Yeah, and little and little did you know. That's right. Yeah, you know, you just got to... Little did I know. Yeah, and you put yourself out there, and you, you worked side by side, and you became friendly with some of the best in the business. And and I, I didn't want, and ju- just for our listeners' sake, I didn't want, it wasn't a matter of name-dropping. I wanted people to understand the type of talent that you actually worked side by side with, because a lot of these guys are not here now, you know? I know. Yeah, and that's yeah, sad, man. you know, but that but those were those were legends, Sam Kinison, Richard Pryor, you know, the, these were guys that that paved the way, you know, for for guys like you, don't they? 
Yeah, and you know, it's a little sad. Some of the younger listeners that you have may not even know who Richard Pryor or Tennyson are. Because I'll say that to, you know, a comic who's in their 20s, and they're like, who? I'm like, how do you not know them? You need to know them. Because everybody at my level, and I'm not that old, you know, I'm barely 40. But most people at my level, those were our heroes, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, I don't know of a big comic who wouldn't say that Richard Pryor isn't their hero, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, any any comic out there, you're you're in your your twenties, you're doing comedy, you know, you should know the Richard Pryors, you should know the 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 Kennisons and 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 guys Bill like Higgs, that. You should. Or, yeah, yeah. It's knowing your craft, honestly. It's just knowing what you do. It's like being right. an actor, and oh well, who's who, who's Humphrey Bogart? Who's it? Yeah, I mean, how do you not know who they are if you if that's your field right. and that's your game? You need to know your game. It's like playing baseball. Right. Oh. Well, uh, who's Babe Ruth? <laughs> right. Who's Babe Ruth? It's, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. George Carlin. They got to know him. They got to oh, know everybody. Oh, God. Everyone needs to know George Carlin. You know, he, I mean, ju- just, just his, his humor. I don't think that many people would be able to even kind of do his type of humor. Right. I agree. And, you know, the other thing they have to realize when they go back and they watch these guys, that some of it may not be relevant anymore. You know, like some of the stuff Richard Pryor was saying was so relevant at the time Mm -hmm. and so important, so groundbreaking. But, you know, they'll listen to it now and they're like, well, I've heard a million comics say that. Well, the only reason they say that is because he broke that ground, you know. Right. And And I've had, uh, you know, like last year I was a writer for Fashion Police and we're on strike now but it's like i got to work with joan rivers for a year and she's a legend no, she, and she's, she's funny. a great lady she's one funny person and, <laughs> yeah and i mean a groundbreaker especially for female comics you know and not just female comics but comics alone i mean this lady hosted the tonight show yep. when johnny wasn't there she's not just you know well, and then, I don't know. She's great. She's well, a legend. But the thing is, like, people like that, you know, especially, you know, the older ones. Like, I, there was something on Spike TV. Okay, they had a special. They were roasting Don Rickles. I love Don Rickles. He is hilarious. He he is funny. <laughs> he's, the, he's the best. He, he is so funny. But it's just it's the, the, his humor, again, you can't. For someone else to do it, they wouldn't They wouldn't be able to fill his shoes because that was his personality. Like George Carlin, right. that was his personality, and that was it. Right. And th- these were the things that were going through his mind. Same thing you know, with, right. with what you do. It's your personality. No one can replace that. Absolutely. When, you, when you're unique yeah, like that. Some of the best yeah. comics are true to themselves, you yeah. know? Yeah. They're just a cartoon of themselves, and... Uh, I, I agree with you. Some yeah. comics, you know, when you first get in comedy, you don't know what, what your style is, but usually you, you hit your stride and you realize they laugh hardest when I'm me, but just a cartoon of me, you know? Right, right. And that, that, that's what it is. And that's where, cause, I mean, if you are you, you can never, you can never drop the ball with that, ever. Right. Ever. So, so now moving forward, uh, I want to talk about your, your TV and film projects that you have going on. Uh, so let's uh, let's go into that. All right. So I uh, have written for movies over the years, and um, 
a lot of people know who the ShamWow guy is. He and I were friends years ago, like early 90s when he was broke. And a lot of people think he's just a spokesman, but he actually owns ShamWow, Slap Chop, all that stuff. And he and I had made a movie in the 90s. That Slap Chop is funny because when he says, you're going to like my nuts, I just like, oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah, I think he got that from you. I know he did. (laughs) (laughs) So... So since, you know, the 90s, I've been writing movies and commercials for him and directing some of his commercials. And actually last week, he and I were in Florida. Um, I had written and produced a commercial for him in Boca Raton, and it's going to be out soon. And we have another one we just did together that I think is on TV right now called Invincible. But anyway, he also made a movie, um, came out last year called The Inappropriate Comedy with Adrian Brody, Michelle Rodriguez. Myself, a uh, comic named Ari Shafir, uh, Lindsay Lohan, Rob Schneider. It was sort of like movie 43. It's a skit movie, like Kentucky Fried movie. The Kentucky and, Fried uh, movie. That I love that yeah. movie. <laughs> but anyway, I was in it. So was Rebecca. And nice. I also wrote a part of it. Um, and then, um, you know, last year, uh, two years ago, I don't know. At some point, some producers had come up to me and said, we want you to write a movie for us and direct it. And it'll star you and Rebecca and some big stars. So we started writing a movie for them. And what happened was a million other movies like it came out. So we scrapped that idea and we came up with this other movie. Some guy had turned in a script um, called What Happened? And it was about some kids... Uh, at a party who had w- woken up and bad things had happened to them. And it was uh, sort of like the hangover meets super bad. And I was okay with the script. I liked, you know, where it went, but I didn't like the whole thing. So I sort of gutted the script and me and Rebecca rewrote it. And it was, and it's basically two kids wake up at a party and bad things have happened. One guy wakes up naked next to a woman. He didn't even want to go to the party. He doesn't know if he slept with her. He sneaks out of the room. His fiance is coming in a couple of hours. So now he and his friend, through flashbacks, have to try to remember what happened at the party. They can only remember so much. So they call their friends over to this house. Those guys tell them, you know, what they can remember of seeing them. And by the end of the movie, they've tied everything together. They've figured out what's happened. And then the fiance shows up and all hell breaks loose. So that's pretty much the movie that I wrote, directed, and starred in. And it also has Jamie Kennedy in it from um, the Scream movies and Malibu's Most Wanted and Bobby Lee from Mad TV, Lorenzo Lamas from Renegade mm-hmm. and Grease, and Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell, Dennis Haskins is in it. Nice. And a million comedians and great actors like Joe Newman and... Uh, ah, Joe guy, Newman, he, my buddy Joe. Joe she, she, Newman. She, she's fantastic. Yes, you know Joe. Yep. Joe jo Newman. Yep, she's fantastic. And uh, there's a new kid that we discovered. It's his first movie named Albert Monero. And he's sort of a Jonah Hill type, but I think he's funnier. The movie also has Daniel Skelton in it and Chris Salvatore and all these other people people will know. And it's really fun and funny and it has heart. You know, you leave the movie laughing and you're glad that everyone who was good got what they wanted and everyone who was bad got what they deserved and so, so i'm like, really happy with them. it it's like a comedy feel-good movie then yeah it is it's a feel-good 
movie. I mean, really, sometimes at the end of, like, The Hangover, you're not super happy. Like, it all got resolved. But this one, you leave smiling and laughing. And I don't know. I re- I'm really glad that uh, that I made it. But it comes out, I think, I don't know an exact date, but it's September. It'll be on Redbox, and then it'll go to you know, Netflix and all that stuff and hopefully some T V channels too. But so people need to look for Bro What Happened. Bro What Happened. Bro What Happened, you have to check it out because it sounds like it's gonna be funny, funny, funny. And everyone needs funny, especially now. You need funny. Especially now, that's right. And you know, here's the thing, when I wrote this movie, I'm a huge fan of of comedy movies and there's four things that I love when movies do. One is show bloopers as the credits roll. Two, list every extra that was ever in the movie in the credits. Three, do a where are they now um, thing at the end of the movie. And four, I love found footage. So when the movie ends, it ends with where are they now, and then all of a sudden it goes back to the movie. The movie restarts, and someone finds a video camera from the movie, uh, from, you know, the party. And... Now we watch that found footage, and then the movie's over, credits roll, you see every extra listed, and there's bloopers the entire time. And so the last 15 minutes of the movie is nonstop laughs. It's just great. And, and you know what that is? That's, that's smart, because now you're forcing people, and this is what they do in a lot of you know great comedy movies, you're forcing people to watch the credits. Yes. Nope. Yes, and and if you do watch this movie, check out the credits because there's some fun ones in there too, where we mess around with the credits a little bit. So, well, that's good. You keep people, you know, engulfed, and that way, you know, it's not just like the regular credit scrolling, where you kind of when you watch TV and you see the end of the movie, they kind of you don't even see anything. <laughs> they, right. They, they zip right. through it, but like, you know, but all these guys work hard. Even the extras, everyone works hard on a film, so they should, you know, be recognized for what they do. I agree. And we had like 200 extras. So there's a, a, a quite a, a scroll at the end. I mean, it's still the same length as any other, you know, credit, but you, you don't even notice it because you're watching, you know, four minutes of great bloopers from the movie. So it's great. Yeah, it's, it's part of the movie. It's just, it's an extended, it's like the extras. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I used to go watch the Cannonball Run movies. I couldn't oh, wait for the, the credits to roll. I, I love the Cannonball Run because actually I remember one of the outtakes with Burt Reynolds, and he just started laughing, and it, it just you, you just start laughing because right. of how he laughs. At Dom DeLuise. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He, Dom DeLuise would laugh, and he would laugh, and back and forth, and I could not wait. That was my favorite part of those movies. Yeah, that, that, those that, that, those were. Those were a great series of movies. There's yeah, no doubt about that one. But, uh, yeah, so you got Bro What Happened. And do you have anything going on as far as any shows coming up, uh, things like that? Yeah, I uh, well, she, Rebecca and I are going to film another movie. We just filmed one that she stars yeah, she in. Ke- she keeps Deadly coming into the show. Rebecca. I know. All right. It's because we're always in movies and stuff. Now, together, but you, but you know what it is? So I, I, I think it's fa- I think it's fantastic, uh, Dante, that you guys have that relationship. And I'm just busting your chops. Me too. You know, it's just, it's just know great. You, you know, because it's like Desi and Lucy, but minus the arguments. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we're both in a movie called Deadly Sanctuary that comes out probably in six months from now. She's the star of it, and she has red hair in it. 
Mm-hmm. And then we film a movie this month, I think like the 15th, called uh, Beast Mode. It's a horror comedy. So that one will be out probably a year from now. And then I'm in another movie coming out um, soon called Rivers Nine, where I play a mobster. And it's sort of a heist movie. And then stand-up-wise, um, Rebecca and I are performing in L.A. a few times this month. And then in the first week of September, we will be at the Silver Legacy Casino in Reno at Catch a Rising Star. See, as as our listeners can tell, that yeah, you guys are not too busy. You don't have too many things going on. <laughs> not too busy at all. And And with all this, guess what? I'm running for... City councilman in Los Angeles, District Four, and so I've got that on my plate as well. Oh, as oh, okay, else. then we we need to speak about this before I let you go off the show. You know, tell us what you're doing politically now. All right, so I'm running. And district Four is a great district. I think it's the best district, not just because I live in it, but it 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 goes from the LA's farmers market to Hancock Park. Silver Lake and uh, Los Feliz and Hollywood and uh, it's got Griffith Park in it and the LA Zoo and Universal Studios and part of Burbank and Sherman Oaks and Laurel Canyon and uh, Hollywood Hills and it's just a great district. And soon, and, it, soon it may be its own little state. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right, man. Yeah. I mean, there's millions of people that live in it and the the guy who has been our city councilman named Tom LaBonge, he's termed out. He uh, served his terms and he is now leaving. And it's, I've been waiting for that because I've been wanting to run for years and I knew he was popular, but I was waiting for him to be termed out. And now I am going to run for city councilman. Nice. Nice. And when, when is this election? Yeah. Well, uh, March and May, um, you know, you've got the primaries and everything else. So, but I will be making more announcements, and I'll have an official website soon. I'm I'm still in the process of filling out paperwork. Okay. There there must be a hundred pages that I have to fill out within the next few months. Yeah, you better get Rebecca working on that. I know it. I know it. <laughs> get to work, Rebecca, now. Don't write that script. <laughs> fill least, out these forms. Or or she better start making more movies while I'm running so that. Uh, and pay for this campaign. Yeah, something's going to have to happen. Hey, maybe you'll get... Uh, for sure. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Heff will step up and help you out. <laughs> I hope so. Somebody. Yeah, so, I want some big stars behind me donating to this campaign because I really do want to clean up L.A. There's things that need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. You know, I know uh, Laurel Canyon. Since I moved here, I could tell you every pothole that's still on that street. You know, there's there's things that need to be fixed and changed around L.A. and I want to be the person to do it. I'm committed to it. I I do it locally. And but you 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 would think the you, whole district. But you would think that they would have that under control. You know. You'd with, think you would with, with think. the taxes also, I mean, with the with the taxes that you guys are paying over there. It's ridiculous. It's outrageous. You're right. You'd think that we would have our tax money going towards that stuff, but I promise you, man, it's very strange. Uh, I've been in the same house in Hollywood, and they've only repaved our street once. And then they skipped, like, five streets and then repaved another one. And yet the other streets are still, you know, crummy. I, I don't get what they're doing. No, that, that, that doesn't so, make any sense. It makes no sense. And then there will be, like, homeless camps that pop up at 
bus stops where people can't even use the bus stop. And until I call the city or the councilman, nothing gets done. And, you know, there's just a lot of things that, that need to be done. And, you know, besides the, the serious business of all of it, I also want to beautify LA. Mm-hmm. You know, we were just in Monterey and we were in San Diego recently and it's like, even their freeways are beautiful with, you know, ice plant and foliage and all this stuff. And I would just love to beautify LA. And I'd also like to give tax breaks to the movie business because everyone I know is either moving to another state for, for, for film or every time they make a movie, they're going out of state. Yep. They're either going, they're coming to New York, they're going to Florida or they're going to Canada. Yeah. Oh, going to right. Australia too. Georgia, Louisiana. Yep. Yep. New, mean, New Orleans yeah. has a lot of tax incentives, you know, so yeah. yeah. Why aren't we keeping business here? And I also want to increase tourism. You know, I would love for LA to have its own ball dropping New Year's Eve type ceremony. Why do we have to watch the New York one? We're oh, on because 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 New York is the best. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, I'm not against it. I'll still watch the New York one, but I still feel like, why are we missing out on millions and millions of tax, you know? No, no, I, I, I agree because in. what they do it in a club in L.A. or something, or something like that. They don't maybe. do... Yeah, I mean, people, no, there's nothing televised. There's nothing big. We are not getting millions of tourists flocking to Los Angeles mm-hmm. for some big event. It's not like we're taking away anything from New York, you know. Very few people from the West Coast fly out there for that. No, but then you, you you're know? talking about a three-hour difference, and they have these events. Right. It's not only in New York. They have them all over the world. So, Well, and what's silly is we usually end up watching the New York one when it's live anyway. Right. So we, we watch it, and then we re-watch it for ourselves three hours later. Right. And yeah. I'd like to bring that to Los Angeles because I just I think we, we need that. I think... Just the money we could be bringing in in December, January from tourism would be outrageous. Well, I think that's a great idea. I think that's a great idea because people be there. It's warm over there, and you'll be able to actually uh, have an impact. Because, you know, in doing that, you know, you're creating jobs, too, and that's important now. Tons of jobs, tons of money. Plus, I mean, our whole our, – our city's number one industry is not entertainment. It's tourists. Yep. We bring in over $15 billion every year in, in tourism money. One in 10 people work to serve tourists here. Yeah. And why not create more tourism? Uh, I mean, just embrace what we are. Well, it is what it is. If you're in the service industry and you're, you're involved in tourism and that's how you're making your revenue, then you, yeah, of course, you embrace it and try to make as much and monetize it as much as you can. You know, but then it starts, yep. it starts at the top and trickles down because if the politicians aren't, aren't allowing it, then how are they doing anything good for the people that they represent? You know, if they're not doing right. anything, any, anything positive to, uh, to generate revenue and make the community better, then you know you're kind right. of, you're not you're not doing right, you know, by your constituents. You're not doing right by the people. And I'm not upset with how how our cities run, but the the main concern is the upkeep of the landmarks that we have. And I think that's great, but I think we need to start thinking out of the box and start thinking about how else we can bring tourists back or keep them coming back or clean up our city to where people don't go, you know. It's too dirty for me. I was afraid there were homeless people that took over bus stops. Yeah, 
you know. I mean, they should clean up, especially in West Hollywood. They should clean up all those the, the sidewalks and the stars because you walk down, you, some of those things are kind of cruddy, and that 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 kind of bugs me a little bit when I'm when I'm out there. Now, where where are you talking? Well, no, about? when you, when you got the stars, when you're when you're. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So you're saying in Hollywood? You're right. Yeah, in West right. Hollywood. In yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. But no, no, not West Hollywood. No. West Hollywood uh, to me is the cleanest part of L.A. Then Hollywood. There is not. Yeah, it's Hollywood because West Hollywood. That's for me. That's a great model. When people go to West Hollywood, there's no trash. The uh, you know they they have a giant Halloween celebration. The police are out in force, but not arresting every third person. It's sort of like Mardi Gras, and their their city could not be more beautiful. And it, it's got art in the middle of the streets. I mean, West Hollywood is a great model for the rest of our city. And then maybe when you but get but you're a, right, Hollywood Hollywood Boulevard needs a cleanup. Yeah, that that definitely needs cleanup. You know, especially uh, you buy the uh, the the Kodak Center and walk going going down. Yeah, they have to uh, they have to clean that up because you know, sometimes people are. You know, they want to be around there, but then, I mean, whenever I'm there, they get kind of, you see people that are afraid that are tourists. They're afraid to go down too far. <laughs> yeah, I'd also like to clean up a lot of those. Uh, we have these characters that dress up like Spider-Man and stuff like that. You know, I would like to have them all licensed, and I don't think that they are right now. And mm. it's a little scary because a lot of them are rude to the tourists. They... I've seen some of these guys who try to sell CDs who yell at tourists or grab them and pull them over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then when the cops show up, they sort of scatter. But then they're right back at it. And I want something done about that. Well, you know what, Dante? I, I hope that, you know, your campaign goes well. And I hope that they put you into office because, you know, there's nothing better than to have someone native of you know in that area that knows from the ground up what should happen. That's not a politician. You're not a career politician, so that actually makes sure, it not. better. That makes it better because now you're you're like the people's choice. Right. I'm not doing it because I want to be in office four years from now. I don't even know if I want to be in office four years from now. I'm doing it because I just want to fix where I live. Right. You want to invoke some some type of change, and then when you're done, you know, leave a legacy of change, which is fantastic. Well, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. You know, so now... You know, I think I I wanted to touch on that because you brought it up at the end, and and I wasn't aware of that, but now I am. So uh, you know, uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring you back on as your campaign uh, starts moving forward, and then we can bring you back. I would on. love it. Yeah, we can just talk about the politics part of it, kind of, kind of, kind of politics, but not just more of the, the things you, that you have in mind. Uh, but I want. I want to thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for for sharing your story with us. I think it's amazing, and I know you're gonna have a lot of great oh, things. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I know you're gonna have a lot of great things going on uh, in your career between you and Rebecca. See, I gotta mention it because because <laughs> <laughs> she's Rebecca a, coaching. Yeah, she's a part of this show, man. And well, you're a great interviewer, by the way. Well, really, like uh, thank you. I, I do a lot of interviews, and I. I can't wait to get off the phone. And with you, I feel like I'm talking to a friend. Well, that's what it is, you know, because we, you know, when, when when you come on my show, it's like home. 
And that's the way I like it, you know, because there's no canned questions. There's none of that, hmm, we're going to ask you this, Dante, and we're going to try to trick some information out of you. What the, this, is, <laughs> this is the story of your life. This is the story of your journey, and that's what it's all about. And uh, I'm happy that you, know, you and Rebecca have that, that unity. That's fantastic, man, because a lot of people don't have that. Huh. You know, um, thanks, friend. Yeah, you got it. You got it. actually. I want to get her on too at some point because I know her story is going to be interesting. I, I know, I know, her her when she comes on the show, I know that's going to be the Dante show. So I kind of need to get her on here. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a journey. She has quite a life story. Yeah, and I got to hear that stuff. But I want our listeners to make sure you go uh, check out Bro What Happened when it shows up on Redbox or if you see it on Netflix and things like that, check it out. I'm sure it's going to be funny, funny, funny. Put it in your queue right now. I think you can do it this week. Put it in your queue on Netflix. Okay, put it in your queue on Netflix, uh, Bro What Happened, and support uh, support comedy. You have a lot of great comics out there. Go to the improv. Go here. Go there. You, you have a local comedy place by you. Go there. Support these guys that are coming up because they need that support because you do have the next generation of great comics, maybe a legend in your presence that may be performing and just needs that support. And that's something that Dante has been, he's been paying it forward and you have been and, uh, with the younger guys coming up. So that that's always a fantastic thing, uh, but again, Dante, thank you so much, and uh, thank for, you. You got it. And for our listeners, you know, thank you for tuning in, and we'll be back with you on the UCW Radio Show for another great segment. Initiating shutdown sequence. You're listening to UCW Radio in your face. What is your major malfunction? So let it be written. So let it be done. Ladies and gentlemen, my mother thanks you. My father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you.